chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control Alt Desire, now streaming on Paramount Plus. everybody and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host Keely Orr, joined by Ryan Abraham and the highlighter that is Shotgun Spratling. Looking very bright yeah. over there tonight. I could golf in that. I just want you guys to wake up. You know, it's rivalry week. I want there to be some energy and some enthusiasm. I figure some bright colors might help. That's there good. You go. It's a little snoozy rivalry week. A little snoozy. It has been. Yeah. <laughs> Well, in that sense, it ha- it is rivalry week, but there is the newsy item. Jackson Dart, the true freshman, is getting his first start. We'll talk about that. <laughs> we'll preview the matchup. Ryan, I love this like interpretive this dart, dance. Dart, 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 dart. dart start. I like darts a lot. It's fun. Nice. Okay. And we'll, t- we'll give some updates of what we're hearing as far as USC's coaching search. And of course, we're answering your questions. Put your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns on YouTube, Twitter, or Facebook, wherever you're watching. You can also put hashtag TunnelVision and put your tweet up on the screen no calls tonight so sorry about that we're gonna have a quick show on that front but guys like i said dart is getting the start ryan i don't think i've talked to you yet about your reaction to this because i think it's interesting dante williams usc's interim head coach has been pretty shy or coy about who's going to start at quarterback i think he likes the gamemanship of that but on monday on trojans live he announced that dart will start what were your thoughts about that? Yeah, so that was uh, the Monday night thing, which a lot of times Shotgun will take notes from it or you know tweet out some stuff. And I was like over, I think I was having dinner that night and I wasn't really paying attention and uh, get the text, oh, Jackson Dart's starting. It's like, okay, that's an interesting announcement. And I think instantly to our little group that, I mean, the thing I said was like, he's never done that. Like he's not, even if he knew he was going to start, he wouldn't say that he was going to start. When Keaton Slovis was the healthy quarterback and he was your, incumbent starting quarterback and he was your pack t- you know pack 12 preseason uh first team quarterback he still wasn't saying Keen Slope was going to start and like now we see you know that we get we after the weird you know uh bye week or whatever practice we go out there and see him and he's in a sleeve like his you know knees in a sleeve for Keaton Slovis and uh they're like okay darts gonna start and like wow okay so it, it was definitely different and he tried to sort of explain it away. If you don't practice, then you don't play. But we've seen instances where, I mean, Jackson Dart had surgery. Like, <laughs> so it was like he, he couldn't play. But he wasn't going to say that Keenzo was to start. There's some game and chip. And I think you said on the Family Feud podcast, you know, like, you know, Chip Kelly's a, um, you know, he's a gamer. Like, he's going to, you know, use any kind of advantage he gets. Uh, but also, both of those guys were sort of playing at the same level. I don't know if it, I don't think it would matter anyway for the gamesmanship stuff, but it just seemed a little weird. Like, all right, Dart's going to start, 
you know, the gut feeling you get is that's the way at least Dante Williams wanted to go. He wanted to start Dart, and that's sort of where you are right now. So maybe try to get some energy, get the fans uh, excited, uh, get more butts in the seats. I don't know, something like that. But it just was, it was a little weird to me. Shagum, your thoughts? Yeah, definitely weird with uh, his track record. And maybe, you know, I said this on the, on the, the Family Review podcast, but maybe it's a maturation and realizing, you know, at cornerback, you know, the position he normally coaches, you can do that. You can say, okay, this guy's, you know, we're going to see who starts, and you can be a competition all the way up because you can switch dr- or drives in and out. Quarterback's the one position on the football field, quarterback and kicker, where you really need to, those guys need to be established, and you need to have the rest of the team follow behind them. You need to have the guy in there um, so you can build his own confidence. It's a very cerebral position, and, you know, quarterbacks are very fickle uh, mentally. You know, it, it takes some of them, you know, they need that confidence, and you need, them to have that confidence to realize that, hey, if I try to fit a ball into a window and it gets intercepted, I don't have to look I'm like, am I getting replaced now? Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's similar in basketball. Like, you don't, you know, when teams are making a lot of mistakes, some coaches will try to sub guys out immediately after a turnover. But you can't always do that because then you're constantly, you don't want to make a mistake all the time. Yeah. You can't have that at the quarterback position. So maybe Dante Williams just, it's a little maturation. <laughs> that would be very surprising to me if that's the only reason. Um, it's just it's very strange with his track record so far this season of saying, "Oh, we'll see, we'll see where he's at this week," you know, and uh, and and he has a policy where if you miss practice, then you're not going to start. But it's very strange with how it's been a two quarterback system for them just immediately back. Jackson Dart's the starter, um, and you know that's just because Keaton Slovis can't play. So uh, it's it's strange to me, and but we'll see what it what comes of it. You know, get past the actual decision to announce that, but now where's this offense going to go with yeah. the quarterback? And that's what I was going to ask you, Shotgun. I feel like you think it's a, it's not necessarily who the quarterback is. It's about scheme and wide receivers getting open and whatnot. And real quick before that, like it's also you who have the quarterback is, but everyone around him, the offense is struggling. you got a bunch of receivers trying to step into a role that Drake London had and kind of fill a gap. You need to know who the quarterback is if you want to you want to make everyone else better. So it's not just hey we're picking the quarterback, but all those guys that you're leading, you want a quarterback to kind of be the Pied Piper and take them through, and they're not sure which guy to follow. Yeah, because you're you're not only you're, you're trying to replace Drake London's production, but you're also putting new guys in the different positions. You know, you may be putting a, a new guy in there. Okay, is he running the same routes that he was running at a different position? So you're moving some guys around a little bit as well. You're trying to do some different things schematically um, with you know just. The, the bodies that are on the field because there's a lot of two tight end sets last week. That's one of the things because I, I don't think they have a lot of trust in the wide receivers. So, you know, they're not going to go really deep on the wide receiver depth chart to try to replace Drake London. So you, you're putting some guys in different positions and that means, okay, well, the quarterback needs to be in sync with that player at that new position. And that's something that we saw a little bit in last game uh, where there were some throws um, you know, late in the game, Jackson Dart tried to throw one to Gary Bryant, and it was it was a good five yards away from him. They just weren't on the same page, and hopefully, that's something that you can correct this last week and a half of having this bye week as well. Is just kind of get on the same page. Everyone knows where you know the quarterback knows where you're going to be. You can read the tenant, you know, read the tells of when they're going to be uh, looking for the ball, those type of things. But it it comes back to because Drake Lynn is not there, defense is going to stack the box. And if you can't run the ball, you're putting all that much more pressure on the two quarterbacks, which then puts even more pressure on them because they're looking over their shoulder. So there's so many things that are combining, and neither quarterback played well. I know a lot of people are saying, Jackson Dart starting, okay, that kind of fixes the offense. They feel that's the, that's what will happen. I don't feel that way. Yeah. Um, and, and I know 
that I agree with you. I've gotten the rep of you know defending Keaton Slovis this entire year. But Shuck him, why do you love Keaton Slovis? <laughs> but the thing is, this offense with either quarterback has never looked good outside of the Washington State game. Now, if you want to say, hey, that's because of Jackson Dart, I would look at it and say that's because of Washington State. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think the USC defense looked good in that game because they played a team that wants to throw the ball all the time that fits into USC's strength, which is their defensive backs and their depth that they have there. Rather than stopping the run and being able to, you know, protect the the middle of the line, you know, nose tackles, linebackers, whereas UCLA, BYU, they're going to be wanting to run downhill. So I just don't think it's good matchups for USC. Whereas Washington State was the offense, though it, they've gotten Keontae Ingram going right before the Drake London injury. Yeah, they've got to find a way to get him going. Yes. I think because that just alleviates so much off the shoulders of Jackson Dart, and you know. If, He's got eight in the box. Well, now he's got one-on-one matchups on the outside. Can he win some of those? That's a huge key in this game, too, for me, is connecting on some of the deep balls. That Jackson Dart, since he's come back from the injury, he's 3 of 14 on passes over 10 yards. Wow. So that's something. No bueno. Yeah, and that's why everyone wants to say Dart's, you know, he's leading these drives, but he wasn't doing anything. Yeah. They were getting pass interferences. Now, he's taking those shots, but they're not really connecting on them, and that's because those receivers – there's no one creating separation down the field for him to throw to. And he, with a freshman quarterback, even as talented as Jackson Dart, you got to help him out. Give him some open guys to throw to. So I would like to see them use some more motion in this game so he knows, okay, guy goes in motion, guy goes with him, coverage indicator, I know that's probably going to be a man coverage. No one goes with him, that's probably going to be a zone. Just give him an extra, you know, clear the picture up for him a little bit, do some different things, and maybe they'll do that with a freshman quarterback because – that was the thing with this two-quarterback system that didn't make any sense to me, is you put Keaton Slovis in there, okay, you're going to have a dart package. You're going to run some different things, some special yeah, yeah. things. No, that wasn't the case. The you just ran the same, same thing over and over. <laughs> so maybe now if they're saying, oh, dart's the starter, let's try to you know do some special things to, to his abilities, but also to try to help him out because he's a young quarterback and doesn't have a ton of experience. Now, I think it's interesting how uh, the role the offensive line plays, because I was talking to Clay McGuire this week, and I was saying, you know, with Drake London out, obviously teams are going to just stack the box, knowing you're going to rely on Keontae Ingram. And he said, you know, the, the margin for error is so much smaller. What are you expecting from this new configuration of the offensive line we've seen? It looks like Andrew Voorhees will get the start at, at left tackle come Saturday. Yeah, and like it's a more veteran group, obviously. Uh, McKenzie and, and Voorhees, you got Dietrich, uh, you know, it's starting at left guard. So instead of having freshmen at the tackles, now like everyone's like th third, four year in the, you know, in the, in the program. I talked to Mike Jinks, uh, the running back coach this week a little bit, and he said to Graham Harrell's credit, even though Keontae Ingram was getting stuffed early on against Arizona State, they wanted to stick with it. And Graham Harrell wanted to keep running them. And they started to run the ball better. Then he ended up getting hurt. Um, I think they still have a lot of confidence in that offensive line, but it it definitely hurt the offense when he was able to run you know so effectively the week before, and then ASU was was shutting them down. You saw the quarterbacks be ineffective, but I think overall, like you know, we're seeing a better overall group of guys playing on the offensive line, just the way they're playing as a collective, even with the freshman tackles in, but maybe playing a little bit better right now. I think they're going to have to try to open up some holes against UCLA, you know, not as bad of a defense as Arizona that they were running all over. Um, but, you know, it, that's going to be Jackson Dart's, you know, that's going to be a security blanket, just having a run game that he can go to. If he can take off and run a little bit, that would be uh, helpful as well. But being able to run the football, I think they're going to stick to it. Just from talking to Jenks, it just sounded like even when it wasn't working, they still wanted to run the football. So I think they understand this offense is going to be limited unless they are 
running the ball. So I expect them to, even if you get some early, uh, you know, not not really as much success as you'd like, they're going to stick with it and try to uh, get it going. And the reason why that margin is so thin when there's an extra defender in the box is because now whether you got a tight end in, whether you got two tight ends in, there's always one extra defender. And now if you use Jackson Dart's legs, that kind of balances that out because that defender has to go with him off the edge. So maybe that's something that, you know, they can open the, the run game up a little bit with Jackson Dart. But when there's seven defenders and six blockers, it comes down to, okay, now the running back has to make a guy miss. Mm-hmm. And Keontae Ingram's been doing that. And, you know, he's been pretty consistent throughout this season where he can make the first guy miss. Your good running backs can do that. But if you don't hold your blocks, then he makes that first guy miss. It takes a little bit of time. Now you don't hold your block longer than a second, and suddenly the guy gets so free. Yeah. You know, you may have had a decent block initially, but if you don't hold it, now there's a second defender there, and then someone else is coming free, and someone else is coming free, and you know, you got guys rallying into the ball. You get like a spectacular two-yard run, or you made two guys miss. And you know? that's <laughs> what we've seen from USC's run game for the last you know five years is that Stephen Carr makes two guys miss in the backfield, and he gets two yards. You know, it does doesn't go anywhere. Um, well, that's what the case is right now because they're going to stack the box. There's going to be an extra defender there, but if they hold their blocks, and I think that's part of the reason why they're trusting those older guys, saying, hey, we're going to go with the veteran guys. They're a little bit more physical, you know, having Voorhees there or having Dietrich versus Cortland Ford. And, you know, I think there's a little bit more physicality with Justin Dietrich, just older guys. You know, they're all 21 to 24 years old, maybe for, for Liam Jimmins. I don't know how old he is off the top of my head, but he's a six year guy. You know, you got three fifth-year guys there, and I believe Dietrich is a fourth-year guy. Um, so, you know, veteran group. And trusting that veteran group, and, and Clay McGuire said this week, he feels like they're gelling together. But it, it's you, it's interesting to me that that group that's out there now, you, know, you started the season with two redshirt freshmen or two second-year freshmen tackles, and now neither one of them are there. Yeah. So you're going all experience down the stretch. So uh, maybe that helps them out. And if they get those blocks, I think that, you know, Keontae Ingram can make some things happen. And that was the runs that they were able to to get against Arizona State was either the guy that the extra defender either, you know, was behind the play, you know, they're running the stretch and he gets kind of lost in some traffic. And if you get some push, that also is huge there. And that's that's where the physicality comes in. You know, it's not just getting your block, but getting your block and forcing him into another defender. You know, if you can take up two guys with one block, obviously you're opening up uh, some more lanes. So we'll see if they can do that against UCLA's front. UCLA's defensive their back seven is not very good their front has been pretty good yeah um so it'll be an interesting matchup and i think again same as arizona state i think this game will come down on both sides of the ball down to the run game by the way you're not allowed to quote uh, clay mcguire only keely can do that so <laughs> that's not a rule thank <laughs> you though uh speaking of run game for ucla how does usc's defense take care of that considering i mean it's week 11 at this point and we're still talking to usc's defensive coordinator about fundamentals and tackling that's Seems to be an issue that continues to plague the Trojans, and I think that's going to be another issue we're watching come Saturday. Yeah, the tackling stuff. I mean, this is you know, it's a team that's going to want to push you around and be physical, and um, you know, use some misdirection, and get, you know, you get guys like Zach Charbonnet rolling. I mean, we've seen UCLA get multiple running backs rolling this season, just really be able. And when you can do that, it just makes your job so much easier, right? Like you can when you can hand the ball off and. Do a little counter, whatever you want to do. Just you're getting your running back through a, through a hole in the offensive line by your scheme. You have, you know, they usually have a pretty good, you know, uh, run scheme from the offensive line, and then you have a talented running back that can make someone miss. You can get a, you know, maybe like someone pulls to the, the second level and blocks a linebacker, and you break a big play. They've been really good at that, and uh, you know, I 
I think it's a team like it's a six and four UCLA team, but when we've seen them when it's worked, like when it's gelled, uh, they've been really good. Um, you know, you know, uh, DTR could be that other extra running back. He can take off with his legs. Um, they had that two stretch game with uh, Oregon and um, Utah back to back, and he's he was banged up and stuff. And but they, for the most part, I think when they've like when it sort of worked, like it just seems like everything's working for them. And USC's just had trouble with teams that are sort of struggling with different things. When you play a team that like has their act together and they can run block and have a good scheme up front, we just haven't seen this USC defense perform like that. So it's gonna have to, I mean, they're gonna have to have figured some stuff out in the bye week, Keely, because you know, you it's not just tackling, it's like being in the right spot, getting off blocks. It's like you can make things, you know, you can make a really bad problem a lot worse when you're not t- touching the guy until he's six yards down the field and then you miss the tackle. You know, I mean, you got to be able to like get some, you know, they're they're doing both things bad for a lot of it. So I think that's a, a real issue. You have to be, they're going to make you be fundamentally sound. And I don't think USC's defense has been fundamentally sound. No, and you're talking about trying to work on fundamentals in week 11 of the season. Like that's, that <laughs> that's tells, hard to do. Well, that tells you where the defense is at. Yeah. And, you know, that's been the issue. It's the tackling. You know, it, it is also getting off blocks and everything else. But if you tackle, you know, you're forcing a team to go 12, 14 plays and they'll mess something up. That's college football. Teams mess stuff up. But USC gives up six, eight yards and then six, eight yards and then explosive run because right. you miss that tackle and the safeties aren't making those tackles. Safeties in the hole. And, I think recently, the last you know, month or so, USC's been in the pl- been in the right place most of the time. Now they can also still get off blocks better, and that's something. And I think they've worn down some in the trenches, you know, especially and maybe this this little week and a half break gives them maybe they're refreshed uh, because Nick Figueroa had, being back could help. Nick Figueroa, you know? but I mean, and Jamar Sacona. But I was going to say that with the injuries they've had, they've been very thin there. They haven't wanted to go very deep on their depth chart. And I think those guys have worn down a little bit. Lichtenstein, you know, even Drake Jackson, Tuli Tupelotu, those guys are playing a ton of snaps. And, you know, you're just not seeing the same impact at times. You know, especially in that Arizona State game, it was very evident to me the end of each of the halves. They just, no one was getting off blocks. You know, they didn't make the tackles that they could make. So that ended up being those explosive runs. So maybe that... Maybe they're refreshed now. Maybe they're the breather, mental refresh. You know, uh, Todd Orlando talked about that. You know, just being mentally, um, being able to bounce back this week. So I think all those things will play into it. But I don't know what gives you any confidence that they'll suddenly tackle. And I, yeah. I point that out because Zach Charbonnet, uh, Britton Brown, and Dorian Thompson Robinson. I mean, Dorian, they've all got over 100 rushes. DTR has got over 100 carries himself, but they have over 1,200 yards. After contact this season, wow, you know they are making guys miss. I mean, uh, Zach Charbonnet himself has he's had 154 rushes. He's made 54 missed tackles. So one in every three rushes, he's making somebody miss or running through a tackle or whatever it may be. So they those three guys have or UCLA in total in their run game have made 101 missed tackles. USC has over 100 missed tackles through nine games. So I just don't think it's a good combination there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, Charbonnet is going to be a very physical runner. He's going to run through some arm tackles. It's going to take more. And then, you know, Todd Orlando talking about it this week, and Keely can can mention it. he she was in the the scrum, but just talk, it just sounds like they don't have confidence. You know, one guy, the first guy doesn't have confidence, and then the second guy who's coming is trying to read where he's going, and therefore it throws everything off. And yeah, now Brad Brown might be limited or in this one. I think he was. Limited in practice, okay. but I'm not see that sure. One. Yeah, 
I believe I got. I'll check on that for sure. But I, I think there might be. But Charbonnet's, you know, he's an absolute stud. Yeah. Now, Shotgun, something you noticed when you were doing your film study and kind of deep dive into stats, USC is just not blitzing as much. Probably the the marker is the Stanford game, really, right? And so, why do you think that is? That's kind of been the the hallmark of Orlando's defense. You like, you never know where the pressure is coming, and and it confuses offenses. But that hasn't really been happening, right? Yeah, after the first four games of the season, actually, uh, you know, San Jose State, Stanford, Washington, Oregon State. I mean, Washington State, they blitzed 32 times on Washington State's 41 dropbacks. So that's a, a ton of blitz pressures there. I mean, over 75%. Uh, and similar against Oregon State, 13 out of 22. Then against Colorado, and partly it's because Colorado's terrible. Their offense is terrible, and you can get to the quarterback without bringing extra pressure. They didn't want to lay just extra guys to make Brendan Lewis try to find someone in his own coverage, or you know, just having extra guys. They only blitz one time in the entire game. Wow! Uh, now that's partly because they're terrible. I, I think that's why you do that because you know, they mean in Colorado, Colorado. Yeah, similar. You know, uh, I looked at you know, uh, I sent these numbers to RJ. I think he may be doing something uh, with it. But I looked at UCLA's as well. When they played Arizona, they only blitzed eight times, and they blitz a lot. And they didn't only blitz eight out of forty-five dropbacks because Arizona's terrible. You can get to the quarterback without bringing extra to, defenders. Yeah. yeah, so I think that's why they did that. But then against Colorado, I mean, excuse me, against Utah, six blitzes out of thirty dropbacks. Against Notre Dame, eight blitzes out of thirty-one dropbacks. Against Arizona, six blitzes out of forty-nine dropbacks. And again, that may be because they're terrible. But um, four consecutive games with under. 10 times blitzing when the team passed. Now, sometimes you're blitzing and it's against a run, so it doesn't, you know, you don't, it doesn't get factored in. Sure, yeah. Um, and, and the stats that I've been looking at. Arizona State, they did push it up a little bit 15 blitzes out of, out of 24 dropbacks against Jaden Daniels, so that's a pretty high number. But it's interesting that you went four games where you, you blitz heavy, and Todd Orlando, and, you know, that's his style. Four games where you didn't blitz barely at all. And now we'll see what kind of hand it finishes the, the season out. But I feel like they, they felt like they were just putting their DBs in a bad position, and some of those DBs weren't aren't performing up to what they can be. So they're like, why are we continuing to pressure when we're not getting there? Yeah, And that's been, a, been an issue for them is they've gotten a little bit of pressure, but not consistent pressure throughout yeah. the season, even when they bring five, six, seven guys. Interesting. Now, overall, I'm going to go to a question from Jasper Smith, who said, I can't remember a UCLA-USC game with this much lack of buzz. Can you guys? This is really weird. Yeah, uh, I mean, I like 2018 was pretty weird as well. So, was it two and eight versus four? Yeah, and yeah, I think. But there's like, I mean, there was like early coach Chip Kelly factor, I guess. Um, so there's at least like right now, UCLA's trying to figure out if you want to keep Chip Kelly. USC already got rid of their coach. Um, now UCLA's bowl eligible. Um, there's some, you know, sort of excitement there. But yeah, I think talking to people on the UCLA side and the USC side. Uh, I mean, a lot of USC people have checked out of the season altogether, right? Um, but, you know, even on the UCLA side, I don't, you know, they, that's a, they would look forward to this game. No matter how bad the team was, they would look forward. Hey, this is a, you know, we could make our season by beating USC. I'm just, it's just weird. It doesn't seem to have much buzz. And, you know, both teams are just mediocre or worse, right? And uh, USC is worse. Um, so I think that's kind of where we are right now. I asked this to Keely and Chris on, on the Family Feud podcast, but, do you think when both teams are not good, what to say that both teams are ungood right now? They're not good. Yeah. That there's more animosity then? Because what are they actually playing for? And now USC's playing to try to get bowl eligible, mm -hmm. sure. And UCLA's trying to push their bowl stock up. But 
there's really there's no championship on the line. There's no hey, that's a top twenty five team. Let's knock them off. You know, you're not trying to knock off the, your opponent, your rival from being able to accomplish something. Maybe UCLA does that feels that way about USC's bowl eligibility, but not really. Yeah. But do you feel like there's more animosity? Because we've heard some uh, some chippy comments uh, from from Bo Calvert saying that those are the little boys over there. Um, across the street, we heard some players coming out of the tunnel on Tuesday saying "F UCLA" um, with not just an F. Okay, <laughs> something else. Yeah, some other words. Uh, Fire truck. Forget fun UCLA or um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like when the game means more, there's more on the when there's more on the line. If one team's really good, like it kind of brings out you want to spoil the season. I mean, sure. like the, the thirteen, the Carl Durrell thirteen to nine thing. Um, I but, mean, but I, but is there animosity then? I th- it was I'm, chippy twenty that 2006 game. Yeah, I think there. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I was not around. I think it's it's tough, but I I feel like you could put more into. I think Nick Figueroa said this week that like you could make your season successful or something if you, you know, if you. Which not, hold on, okay, I know Shotgun's gonna go there. Go where? That was like a comment that kind of blew up a little bit, and I think Matt Leiner chimed in about like he that. Did. That yeah. shows it all that that's like said. But like, what else is Nick Figueroa supposed to say in that kind of instance? I don't know. I mean, you don't want to say that beating UCLA makes your season because UCLA was has said that for years where they would that's be literally the UCLA mentality. Yeah, what like I was gonna say like there were t- like when during that streak, the eight game streak, like USC like won the Rose Bowl, but U- they UCLA won, and like that would make their season like. It didn't matter that USC went on and ran, won the Rose Bowl. UCLA got the win over USC, and they were sort of like, hang your hat on that. And USC always had like bigger aspirations. So that's why, I mean, I mean, I don't, I mean, Nick's a great guy. I mean, yeah, you know, but I, guess, I don't yeah. think there was anything like, you know, meant by that or if it's like the whole mentality of the team. I don't know, maybe, but like that's, you know, I, but if the, if both teams are bad, I think they, you always want to beat the other one. And just because of the, you know, you're going to see these guys at the grocery store in the offseason and stuff. You know, there's such like if you're Nebraska, Oklahoma, like, ah, okay, we know, whatever, you know, that's an old one. But, you're, you know, there's this one is like everyone's in the same damn city, you know. So, like, you have to, like, you're probably at the same parties and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's a little. Don't go to a party with Jay Toya, by the way. If you're, <laughs> Goodness sorry. me, Ryan. Sorry, I take a little shot. But um, I like Jay. I think that um, that it's not necessarily. Th- it's the mentality of this team. It's the mentality of a team with a losing record. It's not necessarily this USC team or this is what's happening to Clay Helton. It's that this team is not good, and this is what you're playing for. Yeah. In a normal year, we have eight wins at least. You know, coming into this game, your mentality is not like, well, if we beat them, then that makes the season. You know, but when you're a sub 500 team, I think that's the mentality you have to take, and you're trying to find something to play for. You're trying to find something to, to you know, bring up the spirits of this, you know, the juice that, you know, they talk about, the juice crew and the waving the towels and all this other stuff, trying to get energy because what is there to be energetic about with this team? You got a lot of individual guys trying to put tape out there, but who's really trying to play and, like, represent USC? I, that's a big question to me. I forgot about the towel thing. Are we going to see that again? There were there were no towels at practice this week, but overall, like you said, Chuck and Orlando did say that the defense seemed refreshed. How would you assess the mentality of this team on, or I guess this week? I mean, it looks the same. I don't. I didn't see anything. I was just like, wow, that's completely different. Looked very similar to me. I mean, the problem is, and I asked Dante Williams about the this morning. Um, I asked him, you know, there's been a lot of players just missing, and I mentioned this on the, the Family Feud podcast. Yeah. You know. 
is has there been any roster attrition? You know, have any guys been knocked off the roster officially? No. Well, there were 14 guys, scholarship guys, that just weren't there at practice yesterday. Now, some of those are injuries. Some of those are like Brew McCoy, Keenan Kristen, who the school's keeping away from practice. But there are other guys just disappeared. Now, I don't know if Ishmael Sopcher is injured, but he hasn't been there. Yeah. Uh, Dorian Hewitt hasn't been there for a few weeks. Casey Collier hasn't been there for over a month. These are scholarship players, and hey, 14 isn't a huge number, but that is basically what they lost when they had the sanctions. Yeah. And you see how how the depth is hurt at practice, and you can't practice to a different level. So even though they may be refreshed, like it, did you feel like you know suddenly the scout team is going at a different level or something? No. And part of it, I think it is because you've got a, a number of guys that are injured or banged up or whatever, or work, focusing on academics like uh, Dante Williams said this morning. But, you know, it, it, you need 85 guys and you need guys that are pushing each other and, you know, taking it to the next level. You need someone to be chippy at practice and be like, F everybody on the other side of the ball because you guys suck because, you know, you're the reason we're losing. Like, they need some of that. Yeah, like, yeah. And talking to Keontae Ingram this week, he did say that Jackson Dart has that confidence that is surprising for a true freshman, but is needed on from an offensive guy. Do you think Dart now taking the reins and knowing uh, this week that he will have the reins on Saturday, does that change anything? Is Dart the spark that people think they he could be? We sort of like got a little, you got a little pieces of Dart the last couple of games, you know? And so if you saved him for this one and he didn't play at all and they're like, okay, now we're going to unveil Dart, I think people would be really excited. But you've seen some Dart in the last couple games, so I don't know if that's going to be like the... Starting's nice, but he played half the game the last two times. I mean, let's keep with the Star Wars theme since that's his Anakin Skywalker eye black, but it's help me Obi-Wan Kenobi, help me Jackson Dart. You're our only hope right now. That's what it feels like. Yeah. Like maybe he provides that spark. And that's, you know, that's one, the one thing that I think is a big difference between him and Keaton Slovis. I think their play has been pretty similar. I think Jackson Dart, when he is healthy, he can run. And they've kind of pulled him away from that a little bit it feels like maybe he's healthy enough now that they kind of re release him but that's the difference in those two guys just their their presence Jackson Dirt has a presence everyone rallies around him Keen Slovis is kind of a quiet guy tries to lead by example much more and you know I, I try to point out that it's much similar to, to Sam Darnold Sam Darnold's not a very vocal guy he's not the guy running down tapping everybody on the shoulder pads before a drive or anything but he led by example and can create that spark I think Jackson Dart is trying to combine both those things. The playmaking ability of, you know, the Sam Darnold keeping plays alive and doing some different things, but also being vocal. And uh, I thought it was interesting that Liam Jimmins on the Trojans Live said, said that their Monday practice, which is similar to a kind of a walkthrough, a little bit lighter practice, is that he was chippy at some of the receivers were not running hard. Um, Jackson Dart was and on some of the routes and stuff. And I think they need that. Can that translate into getting other guys to build up their energy level. And I don't know. I yeah. Mean, He's yeah. got to be someone that the, if, if he can raise team morale, that would be a huge help. I think having a two quarterback system was going to hurt it no matter what. If you like both guys equally, you're just, we're never going to get into a rhythm, but you pick a guy and you're hoping that just having one quarterback helps everyone, the continuity getting in a rhythm and all that. But also if you feel like people sort of got into some sort of rut and routine, Dart is a spark, not for like, you know, it's great. The fans love it and all that stuff. But if his players love him, we, you know, Keontae Ingram told Keeley this week, I think that, you know, 
thinks he can win the Heisman and stuff. If if yep. you just if he runs with a little more, you know, five percent more passion, you know, like he's he's you know he's a great player. But if everyone else just plays five percent better, ten percent better, because they just like, oh, I, I feel a little more confident because he's running the offense. Whatever it is, if they do that and it doesn't matter, I mean, it could be placebo effect. But if you just if you play better, if I take give you a pill and you think it makes you better, and I'm like, it's nothing and it doesn't matter. But if you think that it's going to make you better, if they think they're going to be a better team. Because Dart's running it, they'll probably be a better team. So we'll see if he can like boost the morale and they actually play better. Yep. You mean like Space Jam, MJ Juice, or whatever it was? <laughs> secret sauce. Secret, secret sauce. juice. Something like that. Uh, special stuff. That's what it is. Yeah, MJ Scooby snacks, stuff. whatever, you know. All righty. Let's jump into some. Sorry, Shotgun, were you going to say something? I, I think the one thing, though, is, and hopefully everyone does raise their level of play, but they need playmakers. Is someone going to step up and be a playmaker mm. and make something special happen? Besides, and like Dart may keep a play alive and, and do everything, but if your guy's still covered the entire time, he's staying yeah. alive for 10 <laughs> seconds for nothing. You know, is someone going to get open consistently? Taj Washington, I thought, took it, you know, was very good in that Arizona State game. Is someone else going to be? You need more than one receiver, though. Yep. All righty, let's jump into questions. There have been a lot floating in, so thank you guys. There for, is a whole bunch, and I'll I try know. to grab them. So I'm try to grab Facebook and YouTube ones and put them on the screen for you guys. I'll feed them to Keely. So say if you say question beforehand, that helps. And YouTube has been doing that tremendously. Hit the well like done, button guys. too. Hit yeah. the like, like subscribe, all that stuff. It helps us out. We appreciate it. Yeah. Let's go to a question from Gary who said, uh, Max Gibbs seems to be growing in his move to defense. How poor, important is he to stopping the run on Saturday? I thought they were talked about it. Like, was it Thursday morning about the, the number of snaps? That, 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 was that this morning? <laughs> when Chuck, that was today? When Chuck and said we talked to Dante Williams this morning, I was like, oh my goodness, that was this morning. <laughs> yeah. Day. But yep. he's been getting, like, it's like he just sort of like has grown in the role. He's getting more snaps, getting more snaps. And you're like, okay. You know, there's sometimes you just play well enough that there's no way they can keep you off the field. So, you know, kudos to uh, Max Gibb. I mean, he's, he, I think he's done really well there. Orlando was saying this week how uh, at first they were like, this is a risk. Let's just put him in there to be a big body. And now he's actually understanding scheme concepts where he can do things besides just, hey, rush that guy in front of you. And so apparently his snaps have grown from like five snaps to now apparently he's getting 17 or that's the goal going into Saturday. So his role has definitely grown, which is a, a props to Gibbs for, for t flourishing in that new opportunity. Yeah, that was one of the things I talked to Vic Soto about him last week was that he said that or, or two weeks ago, excuse me. Um, that he's a guy that initially it was, okay, we need you to do this one thing on this one play. He goes in, it's a goal line situation or whatever. All right, he does that, and he comes off the field. Now he's been in there, and he's getting in for four, five, six plays in a row. And I think that's different. Now he's only playing, you know, when he plays four or five snaps, he's getting like two series a game. So he's had he had 13 snaps, uh, defensive snaps against Arizona. He had 11 against Arizona State. So not a ton there, but I think it just adds to what they can do. And getting Nick Figueroa back I think is huge for them because he's versatile enough where third down situations, you can put him at nose tackle if you want to. You can put him inside as a defensive tackle, but you can also put him on the edge and move Tuli Tupelotu inside if you want to. So I think that he just adds some, some different dynamic there for them, a guy that they trust, a guy that gets to the quarterback and creates Creates pressure was one of their best last year. Had the, probably the, I think he had the best pressure rate last season. Oh. So you know, I think getting him back is huge. I don't know that Max Gibbs is going to have a huge role, but if he can give you ten to fifteen snaps, that's what you're looking for from him. Be a big body in there, swallow up a couple blocks, allow someone else. Now, when he comes in there, those linebackers behind him, if he takes up a block, someone needs to be falling off his hip and be able to get in there. And he's shown he's athletic and he's strong. 
Yeah. You know, that was the one thing that I was most surprised about when he moved over the defense is that I didn't realize how strong he had become because we've seen him in the past, you know, growing up at, at Bosco. It was more know, about his weight than his yes, strength. It was right? more about his weight and he can just, you know, he can lean on somebody. But he's showing that just strength where he's just moving people out of the way at times. And I think I showed that in the, in the film study last week uh, of Arizona State. But uh, there's a play in there where he just, just manhandles a guy and gets him out of the way. And he tries to make a tackle, and he's just a little bit off there. But there should have been somebody else there to help out with the tackle <laughs> to push him back into him. So it's it's something that's been fun to watch and see him develop um, because he's such a great kid. <laughs> Someone he's I was very like, popular too. So like if oh, yeah. he's in the game, like that might raise morale of the guys around him too. When, whenever he makes a play, like his first tackle for loss, I think it was, or his first tackle um, a couple games ago against Arizona. It sounded like there was a turnover because you know when the, when there's a turnover, everybody gets hyped up on the sideline. You know they're shouting and pointing to, to you know whichever way that, that your team is going. That's what it sounded like, and you're like, wait, what's? Oh, it's just Max made a, a play, and that's everyone rallies around him. It's it's fun to watch uh, and, and see how he's developed, even if you guys struggle to hear him in our YouTube videos when we interview him because he's so soft spoken. Yes. It's, it's someone such actually a commented. Yeah, someone commented on our video from yesterday. Um, like this sounds terrible. I'm like, no, he's he just he's, he's that soft spoken. That's soft spoken. Yeah. <laughs> we got a question from Andrew on YouTube who said, I don't think coaches see USC as a big time job anymore. After Aranda and Fickle turned down interviews, will they settle for another Pete Carroll flunky? Maybe Coach O. Ryan, you put this one up here. I feel right. like you have a rant. There's maybe a little coming. rant. Okay. It's like so. There's sort of like there's some sky is falling mentality from Andrew a little bit. Like, woe is us. No one thinks this is a good job. And like, I just don't agree with it, Andrew. I'm going to be nice about it. Um, USC is still a very prestigious job, and I know that USC has been an absolute crap show for you know a decade or so. Just you know, bad leadership, everything all around. Um, you have to feel better about the fact that they've tried to go in a new direction with leadership. You know, bringing in Mike Bone, Brandon Sosna, you know, they've they made a bunch of good decisions, singles and doubles, doing things well. This is the grand slam, right? This is the one where you can hit the home run. Um, we're not hearing much out of them. So you're I think USC fans have they, I mean, you can hold on for a few weeks. Be hopeful that they're gonna come through and deliver a great head coach. And it's probably gonna be someone you've heard of. I don't know, you know, if it's not, you know, there's going to be a good reason behind it, I would think. Um, I don't think, you're, oh, those guys are going to turn down interviews and stuff like that. This is still a very prestigious job because you're sitting on this very fertile recruiting ground. You're like the Alabama of the West Coast, but there's no LSU or Georgia or Florida or anyone else like around you. Um, when USC is good, they can dominate and there's a path to the playoff that's easier, similar to what we saw with Clemson and the ACC, you know, like if... If Clemson's really good, I mean, they can walk through. Even with the Floridas and Miami, I mean, the Miamis and the Florida states of the world, um, it's very similar. So, I mean, I get it. There's a lot of reasons to be negative on the program, but I wouldn't do the skies falling attitude towards, oh, we're never going to get a good head coach. It's going to be awful. Like, I, I would say, like, I don't. I'm not someone that says like have, have faith and stuff, but from what we've seen from the new athletic department, I think you can have some faith that they're going to make a good decision. And then the thing is, once you hire somebody good. They make all those problems that were terrible better. Like they fix a lot of stuff. So they have to change the culture. This is really a tear down. You got to tear it all down and build it back up. They've had bad coaches, bad, I mean, just bad. Everything's been bad. But that's why you try to go out and hire someone that's really good. And he looks around and is like, man, there's so many, there's so much potential here. This is, this is a five star recruit of 
coaching jobs and you just have to get them coached up. And so they need a coach to come in and do that. So Andrew, I wouldn't say that there's going to be some retread or whatever. I, I we'll see, come back in a month or so and we'll, we'll talk again. Um, when you play NCAA football and I'm so happy that they're going to be bringing it back and I'll have to get whatever system is out at that time. So I haven't played video games in a long time, partially because there's no NCAA. <laughs> but when you play NCA and you play the dynasty mode, uh-huh. okay, well, I would always play and I was like, get one of the worst teams in the country. But you look at two things. Is it a fertile recruiting ground? Am I going to Idaho or am I uh, going to FIU? You know, I'm going to go to Miami because I know there's going to be recruits there. And is it a conference where you can win at? USC has both of those things and yes. it's at the power five level. It is primed. You know, Oregon is doing really well. They've, they've established a, a good, solid program. They're beatable. No one else has really taken that step forward to be a power program. No one's in the college football playoff conversation every single year. Utah's sometimes, and Washington has been sometimes. They're on the downturn right now. You can look at USC, and if you're a coach in another program, especially if you're like in the SEC West, you're looking at it and like, let me see, i got to face Saban and Jimbo and whatever LSU puts together. And, you know, Lane Kiffin's got it rolling. Leach has got this unique offense. Right. Or, and Arkansas's on the rise, or I can go to the Pac-12 South and play a Chip Kelly team that may, uh, Chip Kelly may get fired. Herm Edwards is on the hot seat. Um, you know, Colorado can't do anything. Arizona just came off a 20-game losing streak. <laughs> which one would I rather do? And that's when people were discussing, like, LSU versus USC, which job is better. It's like there's no question USC is because there's that easy path to the, you know, the college football playoff if you can dominate the recruiting of Southern California – get a couple pieces outside, and then go from there. Now, it's going to be a rebuild. And I feel like looking at this, it's looking more and more like Texas, where next year might not be good. Yeah. Now, depending on what they bring in the transfer portal and some different things, there's not a ton of, uh, there's not as much talent as there normally is on, on the roster. And where this recruiting class is at right now, woo! It's bad. And, and so, stinky. And so it's going to be dependent on some of those older guys. You know, is their offensive line return? Liam Jimmins is gone. But they got three starters right now that could all leave. Do they come back? Um, you know, take advantage of that COVID year. That could be could change a lot of things if suddenly you know Brett Elon, Andrew Voorhees, and Jalen McKenzie decide to leave. Who's starting next year? Right. Yeah. There's no freshmen coming in. They're immediate plug and play guys. It would be very bad. So USC is actually in a decent spot there. But there's some major rebuild issues going to happen. And so they may go into next year and it may look a little bit like Texas this year at times where they've got to clean up the culture in the locker room. They've got to get different guys in there. And depending on who comes in, when they come in, what they can do in this recruiting class, what they can do in the transfer portal, how long will that take? That's a That could be a big question. But there's no doubt that this is one of the top-tier jobs, especially in the, where the conference is right now. And we've seen some good coaches go to, like, you know, Mel Tucker, Michigan State, or Dave Aranda at, at Baylor, who's a you know, new head coach. It was for, and, you know, Mel Tucker only was the head coach for one year. You know, maybe not a great first year, but doing well in the second year because they hit the transfer portal hard. They brought a bunch of new starters. So you can, I think you can, the people are like, it's going to take eight years to make, like, no, that's not, that's not how college football works. But yeah, next year probably is gonna, not going to be great. We'll see. But they can get things around. You you get your culture installed. You get the, you know, you try to bring in some players and you get a good recruiting class and you hit the transfer portal hard. You can, you know, get half your starters from the transfer portal and 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 do well. So I think you get the right head coach, things can start to work smoothly again. Maybe not in year one, but I mean, year two, like there's no reason they couldn't win 
the Pac-12, the whole Pac-12, not the Pac-12 South, like like the whole thing. I think, but you know, you got to get the right coach. Did Utah? Did Utah kind of debunk the get everyone from the portal theory a little bit? What do you mean? As far as chemistry, like for Utah or yeah, meaning because you said just for yeah, the new started coach. Charlie Brewer and he went whatever one right. or two or whatever, but they got another Austin. transfer portal and he's great, you know, Cam Rising. He's so. been there; he was there for a year. Yeah, so but, but they went really hard in the transfer portal this year. You know, getting Theo Howard from Oklahoma, getting TJ Pledger, uh, Tavion Thomas came from Cincinnati. Like Thomas a lot, is a stud. Yeah. A lot of their pieces, and it the thing is, it took them a lot of jail. So that and they've got the thing is they have a great culture that has been going and also they've gone through so much together in the last yeah. twelve months um, that I think it's a little bit different. I think it's you know a lot of people talk about oh you can turn things around so quickly with the transfer portal. I've talked with I think USC basketball has done a really good job. I've talked with some people around the program and outside the program that have uh, admired what they've done, where the the transfers they brought in have been guys that they knew were going to buy in. You know, and they dealt with that a little bit where they were doing the one and done thing, and Kevin Porter Jr. just didn't fit in. You know, he struggled, he had some injuries and stuff like that. Well, they went and they got Chavez Goodwin from Wofford, and everybody's like, why are you getting some 6'9 guy from Wofford when you got multiple bigs that are bigger than him? And now look at him. He's 19 points last game, 20 points uh, against FGCU. Tajidi is a guy who wasn't even starting at Santa Clara two years ago. Comes into USC, they had seen what he could do. It's about finding the right guys. And I think there's going to be a lot of pressure at USC of saying, oh, you got to find guys that are former four stars and five stars and bring them in. Well, if they're former four and five stars, why are they leaving that program? Yeah. Yep. There's usually a reason why guys are in the transfer port. Now, the one thing that is different is guys want to come home. They're just homesick. You can try to get those guys. I think Arizona did a really good job of that, of getting guys to come back to Arizona yeah. from the transfer portal and add some talent there. But you got to be a little bit wary of why is that guy actually going in the transfer portal? Is it because Tennessee's getting a new head coach and everyone's leaving? Okay, those are the guys you want. The Wanya Morris and those guys that have been real impact players. Uh, the running back, this, I think is at um, North Carolina. Those are the ones you're looking for. But, you know, a guy just gets, you know, Alabama lets a guy go. Or Alabama's not letting guys that are really talented that might be a starter go. Yeah, They're pushing out some other guys. So, you know, why are they in the transfer pool? That's a big question. We had a question from John who said on Facebook, who said, do you guys think Harrell has a game plan to attack the Bruin defense or is it going to be more run open to run to open grass? I mean, I think they're going to run. They're going to try to run the football more. Just that's what it sounds like. Um, but yeah, I think there needs to be some better game planning going on. It's just, I mean, scoring, you know, less than 20 points in college football, like there's something wrong, you know, like there's too much talent to do stuff like that. You have to put up points in UCLA has been putting up points like they're, you know, they scored 44 last week. Um, you know, they can do it with, you know, running the football and being, you know, uh, efficient at quarterback. You're going to have to score some points in this game. I think, I don't think USC's defense is going to keep UCLA down. This better be, you know, a great offensive scheme. Jack, there better have a big game. A couple of these receivers better step up and Keontae Ingram's going to have to run the football. Cause if you're not, it's going to be, I think it's just going to be very lopsided. So they, he's going to need a really good game plan. Mark Watkins on YouTube said, is Dart still wearing a knee brace? Will be nice to get the QB run game back as a legit threat to open things up on offense. I think you'll see him wear the knee brace the rest of the season. Yeah. Um, whether he, he is 100% cleared and there's no issues, he's going to keep that for uh, protective reasons, but he can still run with it. Um, the touchdown, he ran a nine-yard touchdown in, juked a guy at the line of scrimmage, finger rolled into the end zone. Um, that was all with a knee brace as well. So, 
I think they can. Now, the question is, do they feel comfortable putting him in that position? Do they feel comfortable with him needing to slide uh, to avoid contact, going down before the defender gets there, those type of things? He ran a little bit more in that game, and maybe that was just game plan against Arizona State because you saw Slovis do it as well. Um, but uh, I think it's something that they need to exploit because, like I said earlier about if there's an extra defender in the box, the quarterback can take one of those if you're running those read options and it's an actual threat. We got a question on YouTube for Shotgun from Super OC Holmes who said, did you did, excuse me, during your film study, did you see the play that Slovis came up lame? I did not. I did, you know, I looked back through it and there was nothing that really stood out, you know, where he's like, you know, when Jackson Dart actually got hurt in that Washington State game, like you knew he was hurt, like something had happened and he played through it. But you, you said, oh, that was the, that was the exact play that it happened. There was nothing in that in the Arizona State game that really stood out like, oh, it looks like Slovis is a little dinged up there. And Keely and I on the sideline didn't necessarily see anything either. Yeah, there wasn't a real indication of that sort. Never saw him on the sideline like flexing his leg or doing anything like that. Never, never noticed anything at least. Yeah. We got a question from Brandon on Facebook who said, besides Drake London, does USC have any first round or second round talent? Drake Jackson has taken a step back, I feel. Sorry if you think differently. I think of it like immediately, like doesn't seem like a ton, right? Like, you know, like Drake, you this Drake, draft class. If it's when you but, say immediately. But in general, like there's I mean, there's some talented young players that you could see. It's hard to say right now. Like, is Michael Trigg gonna be a second round pick or something? Like, I mean, that I mean it's it's really hard to say. So maybe we look at the guys that right now, like a Drake Jackson would be the first one that would come up. Yeah. You know? And I think Drake Jackson is doing before the last two games, uh, he's doing a lot. And I think he's been hobbled a little bit. Uh, we've seen him be limited a little bit in practice this week. He's had a sleeve on his right leg, uh, the lower half of his leg. Don't know exactly what it is, but he's doing a lot of things and not necessarily getting sacks, but he's doing a lot of really positive things for the defense that may go unnoticed unless you're focusing on him every play. The last couple of games, I think he's been a little slowed and you know hasn't had as big of an impact. But before that, he was, made, he was having a huge impact the entire time. He's, I think he's the second highest Pac-12 uh, graded defender, at least on the edge. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau is obviously at the top. And I believe Devin Lloyd is the highest, the second highest rated defender. The linebacker from Utah, but I think Drake Jackson's—he's third or fourth. I mean, he's up yeah. there. So Devin Lloyd's an absolute stud. Yeah, yeah. We got a huge too. <laughs> we got a question from T Mac on YouTube who said, "With Dart starting against the Bruins and just two games left afterwards, will Dante be inclined to keep Dart as a starter to give him more ex game experience going forward?" I mean, this is if he, he's going to start this game, so he won't be able to redshirt. I mean, so no, this will be game four, so he would technically still be able to redshirt. This is game four. Oh, yeah, it would be. Okay. So so if he didn't play the last two games, then he would be uh, eligible to redshirt. I think it depends on his play this game and depends on Keaton Slovis' health. If he comes out and he's three for 37, then you're going to look for a different quarterback. And, you know, if he's 36 for 37, you're going to roll with that guy regardless of what Keaton Slovis' health status is. Ryan, your thoughts? Um, sorry, I was just putting up a question on this. Uh, yeah, as far I mean – the fact that they're playing him now, he's starting right now, and it was just announced, just my gut would say this is who, this, the guy they want to go with for the rest of the season. So I, I feel like Dart's going to be the starter, even if Keaton Slovis comes back. Um, just to, That's just the – I mean, that's nothing I said. It's not like sourced or anything. Just like that's just what I feel like they're going to go with Dart. 
We got a question from Coley on YouTube who said, considering Shotgun's observation of a possible quote-unquote major rebuild, what record should USC faithful be pleased with in 2022? Six and six, seven and five, question mark? I mean, it, the pro- so the issue with this, Coley, is like, you got to see who the head coach is. Um, I mean, the, the higher quality coach, the better you expect the record to be. But also, there's going to be attrition like there's going to be attrition for every team every year like there's going to be guys that are weeded out guys that just want to leave because they're third string whatever when you have a coaching change like this and especially i bet it probably is going to be even worse that you've had a you know 10 or 11 game stretch of an interim head coach there's going to be significant roster turnover there's probably more guys coming in and guys going out um so i think it's a lot to depend on like shotgun said is like are those veterans on the offensive line coming back? That's going to make things a lot easier if you just at least have veterans on the offensive line. If all those guys leave and you're rebuilding with with a bunch of inexperienced people, no matter how, who the coach is, I think it's going to be a little bit more difficult. So that's a hard one for me to answer, Coley. I think I, you know, we could probably in the spring or something when you take a look at things and identify the roster and go, okay, this team is this talented. It's going to take a while to change the culture, but they should still go, you know, eight and four or seven and five or whatever. Don't forget Nick Saban's first year at uh, Alabama. He lost to ULM. Yeah, whatever that is. Exactly, yeah. Louisiana Monroe. So it, it could be like that's what I'm saying. I'm trying to prepare people a little bit. He it was could like be six bad. and six, right, or whatever. Uh, I think it was something like that. Pete Carroll was the same. Like, but you, you this look is at not the, a very good team right now. Yeah, and when you lose some talent off this roster, which you're going to lose some people, you're going to lose London, maybe probably Jackson. Um, are you replacing them? Do you have an impact player to take over at wide receiver? Do you have an impact player to take over on the edge? But even, not even, coming in the recruiting class, maybe in the transfer portal. But those are the type, you know, receivers you may can find somebody. There's a lot of receivers in the portal. USC hit that pretty uh, hard this past cycle. But true pass rushers or true offense alignment, those are hard to find, and that's some areas where USC needs some assistance. Mm-hmm. Jeff on Facebook wanted to know if uh, Michael Trigg will be available on Saturday. I wouldn't think so. He didn't. Uh, he we did, saw him do a little bit on Tuesday. He was not dressed on Wednesday, so um, don't think so. It yeah. looked like he re-injured himself a little bit in that one-on-one rep. Yeah, he did on a one-on-one Tuesday. rep. I, I can't remember if he made the catch or not, but it seemed like he came down awkward a little bit on the knee. And he was kind of flexing a little bit. Maybe it was you know maybe a minor setback or something. Looked to be walking fine when we saw him on Wednesday, but I wouldn't expect him to play this week. Yeah. Uh, we got a question from Mark Watkins who said, did Ryan wear a Cardinal and gold shirt today because I trolled him about his baby blue hat last week? Uh, no. So it's, yeah. <laughs> it's because it has our site. It's our logo. So <laughs> we're in the media. We're not going to be wearing USC gear or anything. Uh, but we'd also not, like, if it's, you know, I, I had a green sweatshirt I was going to bring to Notre Dame. Like, oh, I probably shouldn't do that. So, like, you try to be neutral, like, whatever you're doing. But these are our logo. You know, this is our logo. This is for our, you know, our website. So, you know, I wear that kind of stuff. But I wouldn't wear, like, a USC Trojans shirt, you know, just because we're in the media. We cover the Trojans, you know. We cover recruiting. Like, I don't want to go to a high school game wearing all USC gear. And, like, I don't represent USC. Like, I'm going <laughs> to interview the kid, talk, you know, ask him about, you know, USC or anyone else. But I don't want to be a representative of USC because we're in the media. So we can't really do that. I know a lot of people want that. We're uscfootball.com. Like, that's the name of our website. But we cover USC. We're not part of USC. Yeah, we'll leave that to some other sites. Um, I, someone <laughs> asked someone asked why I'm, uh, what team colors I'm wearing. 
This is as neutral as it gets. This is blinding. That's baby what it is. blue. If you were playing Oregon, Cardinal. though, yeah. If, you were if, playing, if they were playing Oregon, I would not wear this. Yeah, <laughs> I would wear it blue. Yeah. <laughs> we got a question from DD Diego who said, "How much did USC save firing Clay Helton in Game Two versus end of the 2020 season?" Dollar dollar bills, yo. Um, I don't know. Like, how much did they save? Like, I think I think just was that the right call to fire him after Game Two. No, I so no. It comes down to the money. So, yeah, so I would say they I, definitely saved some money. I don't know the exact figures or anything, but yeah, like you were paying Clay to coach the beginning of the 2021 season, but you still paid him for the season. You just paid him for the rest of his contract. Um, but you know, so you basically saved the money you would be paying for a coach right now. Yeah. So you didn't have to hire a head coach in 2021. You're going to do that in 2022. The question is, and I think I get the reasoning. There was always reasons why not to fire him, not to fire him, not to fire him, because it was a really horrible buyout that Lynn Swan got them. But I think, you know, we talked about this before, and I've talked about it with Keeley. Like, in retrospect, I think the guys in the athletic department that are smart, if they had a, a do over, they would say, you know what, it's going to be really expensive to buy them out, but holy crap, the fallout, if we don't, is, is worse than we even thought. That's, that would be my guess. We don't know. I haven't, they won't tell us that kind of stuff. But <laughs> And the thing uh, that I always try and remind is that, no one expected the pandemic either, you know, the yeah, 2020, that was, like yeah. that definitely threw a wrench into things. Yeah. If, if, if this season would have been last season, you know, regular season happens, there's no pandemic, then he would have been fired after 2020 or during 2020. I mean, the first game of the 2020 season was Alabama. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm just saying like, yeah, he might have been, eh. you've had some excuses to fire him. There, there was good. 2020 was not going to go well. Like you had Oregon, you had Washington, you had Alabama. Uh, Notre Dame, like, yeah, like the way we've seen Clay Hilton coach teams, like they were not going to be good in 2020. Uh, they also had some receivers then. They did, but it's just, they still would have helped. It was not, yeah, like that, I think that hurt the athletic department too. So they didn't see that coming, but knowing that there'd be a pandemic and, you know, yeah. The answer is after losing to a two and eight UCLA team, that's when they should have fired. Yeah. We got a question from Brandon. <laughs> on Facebook who said, how do you think the early signing period is going to go? Do you think anyone will sign? We're going to have a big signing day party. It's going to be a huge... No, we're not going to do any of that stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, so it... So first of all, it depends on when the head coach is hired. Like, And we've, we've talked about... I asked Dante Williams about this this morning. Um, you know, last week, USC was supposed to play Cal. That's why we didn't have shows and stuff because uh, the game got postponed because of COVID. Well, then they moved the game to December 4th. If you don't realize, like, December 15th is the early signing period. That's when it starts. There's only two weekends after the season that you can bring in official visitors uh, when the season's over. Well, one of them is now gone because USC is going to be traveling to Cal. It's an 8 p.m. game on Saturday. Like, the whole weekend's shot. They can't host any official visitors. Um, it's going to be extremely hard. You know, Dante Williams acknowledged this morning that it was going to be, you know, difficult. He's try I think he's still trying to recruit as much as he can. Uh, you know, in the hopes that he's going to still be on the staff and everything. But, um, you know, Damani Jackson, the, you know, five-star defensive back from modern day, he decommitted this week. And, um, you know, that's a Dante Williams guy. Uh, so if USC gets a head coach in earlier, I think the, the earlier you can get him in, the more you can salvage the early signing period. But sometimes you just have to hope that guys will wait to sign or just hold off a little bit. And then maybe you can get them in, in February, but it's, it's it's gonna be the 2020 signing day was abysmal. Like it's going to be on that level, which is no, no, they, they just unbelievable. Need, they just needed big bodies, Ryan. They just needed they need tackle bodies. 
in the 2020 class. Yeah. We did. I did a recruiting a podcast with Gerard Martinez this week. It's free. It's up on the website, uscfootball.com. It's on our Peristyle podcast feed. Gerard goes into a lot of detail about the recruiting class, the parallels between that 2020 class. 2020 was sort of like it was, you know, the season after five and seven for sure. But also everyone just assumed he was going to be fired. And like this year, you're not going to get a good recruiting class because you had a lame duck head coach that he's fired. And you know, now, but then you're sort of the same thing. You had a lame duck head coach. If they would have replaced them, then you would get back on your feet. Now you've had like two out of three classes that are essentially Clay Houghton fired seasons and only one of them, he actually got fired. So it's sort of like you, you started to rip the bandaid off and then you just kind of put it back on and then you had to rip it off again. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's a mess. But whenever they get someone in, you're going to see a boost. Oh, yeah. Because now you know if you're a linebacker and Aranda or Fickle comes in, you're like, I can play in that system. That's what I want to play in. And if you've been waiting on the fence, be like, I like USC, but I don't know what the hell is going to go on over there. You're going to wait. You know, Devin Brown, the, the quarterback, is USC's highest commit now. If I was him, there's no way I'm signing early signing period unless you have a coach and you know what that coach is going to do and you know what the offense coordinator is going to do. And if you have to wait until, you know, you can be an early enrollee. You don't even have to sign letter intent. It's, it's a bullshit thing anyway. So, um, <laughs> can you say that on this show? I sure. Can. You just uh, but you don't have to sign a letter intent. You can wait and you just enroll. You just let the school know, Hey, I'm waiting to see what the office coordinator is going to be. If I like it, I'm enrolling in January. We'll be good to go. Um, or you wait to the, you know, if you want to sign, have a signing day thing, you, you can wait till February and do that. If you're not an early enrollee, but I don't think anyone in this class, unless you've been a USC fan your entire life, you don't care who the coach is, you're going to be a Trojan no matter what, I would wait until there is a decision, and then you play it out from there. And I think a lot of guys, there may be some local guys that are doing that. Now, the longer you wait, the more pressure they're going to get from Utah or Washington or whoever else is recruiting them, Oregon, to say, why are you waiting on them? We, we look at the stability we have. Look, we're going into the college football playoff potentially if you're Oregon. You know, you're going to be recruiting against USC and all the, the mess that they've had the last five years and all that. But, you know, that's what you're waiting for. When they do hire someone, there should be an uptick in recruiting then. But until you get someone, everyone's just kind of wait and see at best. Alrighty, we've reached the top of the hour, so I'm officially putting us into rapid fire mode. That sounds good. We were, we didn't talk about UCLA much, huh? We did a little bit. All right. We previewed the first half of the show. Sure. Lakerman87 said, "What's the deal with that four-star freshman linebacker? Why isn't he starting?" That's something that we actually have talked about in practice while we're watching practice, right, Shogun? Uh, the the question would be which four-star linebacker freshman well, linebacker? Because there's multiple guys. The linebackers haven't played well. Why are you not getting some of those young guys some experience, whether it be one or two drives a game. Rayshon Davis is a guy they've used on special teams up until the last game. The last game was the first time he didn't play. So it, I'm surprised that they're, you know, not getting him in there and giving him an opportunity to to play and learn and, you know, make a, make some mistakes because they're already making some mistakes. Yeah. I mean, how like how bad can it be? You know, it's kind of, that's kind of the situation they're in. Like the play has not been good. Can I, Malga has been solid to maybe a little bit less than solid. But the other spot's been a, a rotation between Raylan Goforth and Raymond Scott. Raylan Goforth's got a number of those uh, reps, but it just hasn't been good enough. We got a question from Sean on Facebook who said, if Clancy Pendergast and Clay Hilton were still coaches at USC, wouldn't the record be at least 500? I don't know about Pendergast, but like if, if say you just didn't fire Clay Helton in game two, I, in the beginning I thought you know maybe the Washington State game Clay Helton would lose and – 
Uh, you know, they won it with Dante Williams. But since then, I think if you just had the continuity of, of Clay Helton, I think they'd have a slightly better record. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? I don't, it still wouldn't be a good team. It still would be a good team, yeah. It, it might be like marginally. Do you better. really care if a team is five and four versus four and five? Are you guys really that excited about that LA Bowl? Yeah, I mean we are because SoFi is be fun to I cover to games, but <laughs> yeah, maybe slightly better. But it's yeah, it's in the it's in the noise. Yeah, just, how much do you when you in five years? How much are you going to care whether a team was five and seven or six and six? Yeah, you never know. Fans, fans have their their worries. Uh, Shotgun, I just want to note that you've answered multiple hypothetical situations so far this show. So I'm very proud of you. Well done. What a question from Brandon Jones on YouTube who said anything on Micah Pittman. If you don't know that saga, he basically left Oregon's team. Correct? Yeah, left the program, uh, and then now is entering the transfer portal. He mentioned some stuff about mental health, so I don't know exactly what's going on there. His brother Michael uh, did. Uh, Michael Jr. did point out. That something about USC and you know giving some googly eyes about USC's receivers, who's next type of thing. So, you know, there's going to be a connection there. I'm sure that Michael's going to try to point him towards USC, but you know, is that going to be the best fit for USC? Uh, I don't know. You know, it depends on the new offense coming in. They already have some smaller receivers. You know, is that something they're looking for? I don't know. We had a question from Mark who said, "Did they have to bump up Dante's salary for the season though to uh, to account for his increased responsibilities as interim head coach?" It's a good question. I don't think so. I don't think you. Get, I, I know I, I talked with one coach that in the past was bumped up and they're like from a GA to a on field thing, and I was like, "Oh, that's a nice pay bump." And they're like, "No, no, no, no pay bump there." Yeah, uh, I, I don't think so, but. Oh, we got a question from Coley who said, you have been around various teams throughout the years. In your observation, do you feel this possible 6-6 six and six 2021 team will be enthusiastic to play in a mid to lesser bowl game? Yes, because they haven't won a bowl game. Anyone on this roster, maybe Vi or Liam, but... Yeah, everyone I've talked to, I mean, and, you know, this is on, you know, this is like in interviews, this isn't like behind closed doors. They've all said they've wanted to go to a bowl game. Like, I haven't had anyone that has wavered at all. Uh, so at least publicly, they're saying, yeah, they want to play. And I had this argument with with RJ Abadia um, from our site at practice, I think, last week, is should they want to play in a bowl game? Um, you know, do you want to get Michael Trigg back? Should he be back out there? Yes, those guys need every freaking snap they can get. They're not good as a team. Every single player on this team can be better outside of Drake London, who's not on the playing, uh, yeah. playing field anymore. So. They need as many extra reps as possible. They need all those practices. And if you get a coach in, you ha depending on the date of the game, you get a coach in, maybe he can observe, he can get a better uh, idea, he can start implementing some culture stuff. A lot of different things can happen, so they should definitely want to play in a bowl game. Um, let's go to a question from Oscar who wanted to know our thoughts about uh, Jim Mora getting a, a new job. He said, would he have been a candidate for USC, a good candidate? Oh my God! Is that a real question? No, real he would not be a real kid. No, um, Jim Mora. I listened to an interview he did with the Audible, uh, and you know he got the UConn job. He was out of coaching for four or five years or whatever. Um, no, like that. He's not. That's not a USC candidate. I mean, he got fired from UCLA and then never worked again. So no. But I think he's going to have. I think he's going to do well at UConn. The interesting thing about him getting hired, and we're seeing. You know, I think you're going to see more of this now. He's on staff at UConn right now. He's out on the road recruiting for his next year's squ you know squad. He's not helping with the game plan or anything. He's you know he's 
you know, observing. He's going to get a good feel for what these players are like and everyone on the team. And he's kind of indoctrinating himself into the program, uh, you know, trying to be like more of a fly on the wall. But he's going to be taken over as a head coach. That's a nice thing. So if you were going to hire, if USC wanted to hire like Chris Peterson, they could have brought him in and he could have been on staff and already been recruiting for next year. Um, Bob Stoops, someone like that. So there might be some appeal to to guys that aren't working right now because if you're hiring someone that's going like to the playoff, it might be hard to get them in. Uh, you know, until late January or something. I mean, that, that's a that's a problem. So his is an interesting story because he's going to take over the UConn program, but he's already there doing some recruiting. But no, he would not be a USC level head coach. You know, if he like wins, you know, a bunch of games at UConn or something, maybe down the road. But right now, no, he's not. He would not be. But good for him. Yeah, good. I mean, he seemed like he's someone that learned, just like Ed Orgeron learned from his time at Old Miss. You listen to that interview, it's like he seemed like he learned a lot. He was kind of gruff with the media and just sort of was like surly about stuff, but, you know, did a lot of Philip, you know, um, charity work and everything. And, uh, but yeah, so wish him well over there at UConn. Not an easy job, but I like the way they're doing it where he's in the system now working on things. Same thing with. Clay Hilton, same thing with McGuire at Texas Tech. Yeah. It's becoming more of a trend, and that's because early signing day. Yeah. Uh, Mike on Facebook wanted to know, who do you all see as the number one running back next year? And I talked to Keontae Ingram this week about his future, and he said he didn't want to get into that mindset thinking about whether or not he'll be here next season because he said he's he owes it to the team to stay locked into the season. But, Shotgun, you expect him to leave, correct? Yeah, I, I think that he's proven as much as he can. Now, maybe whoever the new coach is can talk him into it based on whatever the offense is. But I think he's shown what he can do. I don't think he's going to accelerate his draft stock all the way up to being a first or second rounder or anything. I think he's a mid-round to late-round guy just because running backs are more expendable now. They're not as high, highly valued in the NFL. So I think you know it's a position where you want to get in as soon as you can because of the wear and tear on the body. We got a question, uh, or I guess it's a statement on Facebook yeah. from Gary, who said, show up on Saturday and support the players. There's only two more home games until USC gets the new coach. Yeah, I mean, that's, you, wanna, you want people to come out there. It's a rivalry game. You know, come out and, uh, and support the team. I think that will help them. Uh, final questions. Final question, maybe. Uh, we had a question from Alex who said, with the transfer portal, will the new head coach bring many of his own players to USC? That's one advantage, yeah. If you're coming from a good team. Um, there's a potential for that. You can transfer without penalty and you can just go there. And so I think we've seen that other places and they could potentially do that. You know, It's going to be interesting. That could be one thing because uh, people were throwing out the name of Lincoln Riley and like, oh, Lincoln Riley, whenever he goes to this new job, Kayla Williams will follow him. It's like, whoa, that could be a complete game changer. I think I was talking about LSU or something. That would be a game changer because Kayla Williams is a potential Heisman finalist in the future. So, but how many guys come with you? Generally, the the unwritten rule in coaching is that you get a new job, you don't poach your old team. But with the transfer portal, the way it's going, you know those rules get and unwritten rules rules get yeah um, obliterated, get yeah. <laughs> marked out even more um, each year you go along. You know, the, previously there used to be the unwritten rules about offers. An offer actually meant something. If someone was committed, you know, and they're not taking visits, all those things, all that's out the window. Yeah. One final question that will lead us into our score predictions. It's actually from our resident UCLA fan. So I thought I should give him the final question of the UCLA USC preview show. He says UCLA will blitz and lead their corners on Island Saturday. Which receiver can win his one-on-one -on -one battle more consistently? 
I mean, consistently, it's a great question because we just haven't seen much consistency from anyone. I liked what I saw this week from Kyle Ford. I'm going to hold out hope because, you know, he's my dude. Uh, I like me some Kyle Ford. Um, if they use him more, he has an op- I think he has some good opportunities in this game. He's a big body. Um, you know, sometimes USC guys aren't getting open, but you have to make the contested catches. He can do that more than like a smaller Gary Bryan or, or Taj Washington. Uh, I would, I'll go with him. We'll see if, uh, I just got, I got a little hint, you know, not hint. Uh, no one's you know, tipping me off on this. Just a little, um, gut feel, a little gut feel about it. Yeah. I don't want to like, it wasn't sourced or anything. Just, you know. Taj Washington was the guy that got open the most against Arizona state, but I'll tell you the guy that should be play oh. the man. It's John, it's John Jackson. The third, okay. he gets open. He's the one guy that gets open with his routes consistently. Play the man. Give him an opportunity and actually put him in the rotation to, to give him a chance. He makes catches in practice all the time. You know, he's not the biggest, he's not the fastest, he's not the strongest, but he just gets open. And that's what they need in this offense right now. They did a little video of him and his sister because his sister's on the soccer team. So cool for them. Look at cool that. Family. USC it's a very, legacy. very USC Very family. USC family. Yeah. Yes. All righty, gentlemen. It's that time of the show and the week. Predictions. How do you think this one's going to go? Crosstown rivalry on Saturday. I know. So Keely has a two-game lead in our picks against the spread. It's a three-point spread. UCLA is favored, uh, road favorite. Um, I'm pretty big on the Bruins covering this one. You know, we'll see. USC had the bye week that it wasn't, you know, Jackson Dart, the one quarterback thing. I went on the rant about the two quarterbacks, how terrible that is. How much of a bump are they going to get from just playing one quarterback? I just haven't, like, UCLA is going to score points, though. I mean, there's going to be, have to be significant changes to what this USC defense is. The fact that they're still talking about trying to get to the fundamentals and tackling, I just don't think that's a good sign. So if I, you're hopeful that the USC offense can get rolling. But if they do, like, what are they going to score, like, 31 points? And UCLA they might score 52 40. against them two years ago. Yeah. They scored, two. what was it, 40? That was very different. They had 43 four, to 38 last, four last year. Four fewer NFL um receivers from that squad, you know, from that uh, team. They did have four guys that had over 100 yards in that game. Yeah, was that, was, that was insane, the four guys over That was 52. Yards. They scored 43 last year. Does that mean they're going to be 34 this year? Nine, nine less each year? And I'll do, uh, But I think UCLA's going to score like 42. So I'm going to take the Bruins and uh, lay in the three. So I'm interrupting you, Shaka. I'm sorry. Go do you it. guys believe in, in rivalry magic? Like, Do you think things can be different because of this rivalry or no? Yes, I believe in rivalry magic, but there needs to be a spark. Yeah, there doesn't feel like much magic right now. Around this team, it doesn't feel like there has been. Now, maybe Jackson darts that spark. Yeah. Maybe. It would be fun just to see a battle back and forth. I, I told Keely and Chris that I'm okay with it being 74-71 to 71 or whatever the yeah. Washington State uh, UCLA game was, or even 57-56, Texas-Kansas. What was Let's the just Florida? Have a good fly- Oh, give it up 42 points in the first half to Samford? Samford, right? Like They were down 42 to 28. It was like 70 to 50 or something. Or like that was a basketball. Like literally, like that was a legit score. Like it was like a basketball game. Um, that'd be fun if they if everyone's scoring points. Uh, I mean, UCLA's going to have some grind out drives though. Uh, just being able to run the football the way they are. So I don't know. And then someone asked on YouTube about like stacking the box. I think USC could try to do stuff like that, but. The problem is, you know, if it doesn't work, it's going to be home run ball. You know, like if they stack the box and the guy gets through the line, like it's no one's going to stop him. Like that, that could be trouble. 70 to 52 is that score. 70 to 52. Wow. That's insane. Shoddy, your prediction, how's it going on Saturday? USC can't stop the run. UCLA runs it downhill. I give me UCLA. 
Yeah. He's been saying that from like week four, though. It's, yeah. I mean, it, it's not a good matchup for USC. That's the no. big thing. Yeah, and maybe, maybe that's when the rivalry magic kicks in, something special happens, but nothing lends itself throughout this season. That, oh, they're going to fix that. Or, oh, so yeah. you see how they've improved on this certain thing? Not in the run game. Yeah. If yeah. USC wins, you're going to, like, I think fans will be happy, not just because of the win, but like there's going to be some plays like a pick six of DTR or forcing a fumble or a special teams touchdown. Like, I think things are going to have to go. USC's way a little bit because the the matchups on paper, like Shotgun's talking about, aren't favoring USC. But if they get some of that rivalry magic, if they play in inspired football because Jackson Dart's leading the way, then you might get some big plays. The playmaker things he was talking about, you got to get some of that. And so if USC wins this one, I think you're going to see some exciting plays and some guys going out there like, wow, he he had a great game at the inside linebacker spot or at safety or whatever. You're going to need some of that stuff happening in this game. You can't just like go through the motions and hope to win at the end. Like, that's not going to happen in this one. If Drake London was still there, I would give USC that much more of a chance yeah. because he can do something special. And He's secondary. done something special yeah. against UCLA in the past. Yeah. Yeah. UCLA secondary is not very good, but either is USC, so that's the problem. It, and again, that's the, it, the USC can exploit the weakness. They don't. Their receivers aren't constantly getting open, so it's not like it's – that's, again, goes back to the matchup. Yeah. You know, football is all about matchups, and this is not a good matchup for USC. Where you know, if if they play a team that has a really weak run defense, and then they can start exploiting from there, that's their best opportunity. But you know, that's not UCLA does fine against the run; they struggle against the pass. I just don't see it being a great matchup for USC. Same thing with BYU. I'm gonna tell you the same exact thing next week if I if the game on Saturday plays out how I expect it to. Should we just clip this shotgun sure, next Thursday? Put that there. Oh, next Thursday is Thanksgiving, so we shall see what we do. Yeah, probably not gonna. We'll have let a you show. know on on Sunday. Yeah, we'll we'll follow up there. A yeah. couple more notes before we wrap up this show. Jeff on Facebook says, uh, "Be sure to check out uh, Trojan Women's Soccer tomorrow at 1:30 p.m. and second round of the NCAA tournament." Oh, nice. And then John says, "How can I get a UC- USCfootball.com shirt?" Yeah, so we're actually are not allowed to sell these because uh, USC has trademarks with uh, USC on you know and football on their shirts. So we can make them for ourselves. We can give them away. But we're not allowed to sell them. But, you know, if I if we make some more, send me an email and uh, we'll, we'll see what we can do. Get you one. We shall see. Indeed. All righty, gentlemen. Any final thoughts before we wrap it up? It's good to be back. We uh, you know took a little time off a little break. for the, the, the bye week. You know, recharge the batteries. And uh, here we are. All right, Todd Orlando. Yeah. <laughs> We're going back to fundamentals, uh, making sure we get the questions up on the screen and try to, you know. Yeah, answering questions <laughs> from the right angle, you know, all that good stuff. Get all the cameras going the right place, like, you yep. know, lighting, uh, make sure we're all right. No, I mean, I'm excited to go back out and see some football again. It was really a bummer last weekend to not have college football. And uh, I'm curious, you know, curious to see the cow game Just being. you get to watch it a whole day. True, yeah. Um, but I don't know. But there weren't any good, real good games. Also true. Georgia Tennessee was like the only real. Yeah. Bayless Jones touchdown. Congratulations. We're excited. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just want to go out and uh, be in the Coliseum again and uh, and check out some some college football. So I love seeing the jerseys, the home jerseys from both sides. It's mm-hmm. like it's all it's that's crispy, great, you know, very fun. crispy. So I know we're kind of like you know milk toast about this right now, but when we get out there, it'll you know there'll be some hatred going, people yelling at each other. Like just you'll get into it. It's just right now, it's just sort of like uh, it doesn't feel like Christmas Eve yet. You know, maybe you <laughs> love milk toast. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to close with uh, Ladarius Martin's question: Who wins the Pac-12 basketball regular season outright? USC, UCLA, or Oregon? Oregon got trounced. That was by crazy. BYU. I watched the first half of that game uh, in the background. BYU owns the Pac-12. That's true. So we'll, yeah. And we'll see that next week, too, Oof. if that continues. Uh, but 
UCLA right now is you know coming off a great win over Villanova, um, and I've played a couple other teams since then. But they're they're the team to beat for sure. They brought back everybody basically from that Final Four team, and they added two big pieces in Peyton Watson, the freshman five star, and Miles Johnson, the transfer from Rutgers, who's a rim protector. And that's what they didn't have last year when USC was able to dominate them. Should be a really interesting matchup when they play USC. But USC three and zero right now. They will play on Monday at the Galen Center. You guys are very upset about the game on Saturday. If it doesn't go USC's way, go over to the Galen Center on Monday. USC will be playing Dixie State late night game, 8 p.m. 8 p.m. But they're just they're coming off a road trip where they went to went to Philadelphia, played Temple at their home arena. Tough place to play. They tried to bully them. USC didn't back down. They got a big lead. Uh, they gave a, a little bit of a back, but they finished off that game to win. And then they went down to Fort Myers, Florida. Ryan, you know where Fort Myers, Florida is? Uh, Florida. A, yeah. Somewhere in Florida, yeah. Uh, Florida Gulf Coast uh, to play Andy Infield. He was inducted into the— I think the, that's on the Gulf Coast of Florida, right? Oh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Fort Myers is. Uh, yeah, he was inducted into the school, <laughs> the, the inaugural class. That he and the 2013 Dunk City team were inducted into the Hall of Fame, so congratulations to him. Nice. And then USC beat them, their team by uh, almost 20. Um, we're at football practice. The shotgun's watching the game on yep. his phone. So Double good. duty. Look at that. Yeah. Look at that. Alrighty, that's gonna wrap it up for tonight's show. That's shotgun. That's Ryan. I'm Keely. We'll be back on Sunday to break down everything we saw on Saturday. So stay tuned for that. We'll see you next time. Bye. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.